Have you wanted to know everything regarding Kyle Dubas's trade history while he was in Toronto and what that might mean for his time in Pittsburgh? Well, I've got the answer for you coming up right after this. Your Locked On Penguins. Your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at Eleanor's for Penguins. And of course, thank you all so much for making this your first listen slash watch of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. I do want to give a shout out to a YouTube commenter who actually, you know, approached me about this topic after my episode on Monday. And I'll say this to anyone out there. If you have a topic or a question that you want me to discuss on the show, just leave a comment on um, for the YouTube video, or you can just send me a DM on social media. I usually try to plan my shows days in advance, but when I saw this topic, I figured, okay, I do want to do some more research on it because I think this could be pretty paramount to see who Kyle Dubas could most likely trade with this offseason. So I did do quite a bit of research this morning. I went on to Cap Friendly and a couple other websites to really look at his trade history. I did combine his time as the full-time GM and his time as the interim GM. Remember, for those unfamiliar, he ran the Maple Leafs on an interim basis with Mark Hunter and a couple other people after Dave Nonis got fired in, what, 2015? That's after that, Lou Amarello came in, ran the team for a little bit before going to the Islanders, and then Dubas took over. But So I did... <clears throat> I did combine all of that time, and I found some pretty interesting results. I have the data right in front of me here. So during his time as the interim GM, he traded, he helped trade with 15 teams alongside Mark Hunter. Only the Florida Panthers and the Edmonton Oilers were traded with multiple times during that span. Basically half the league he traded with. And then after he took over on a full-time basis in 2018, he started trading with a lot more teams, traded with 28 overall teams during his time as the Maple Leafs general manager, 74 total trades in general. And the team that led the way with the most trades for Kyle Dubas, the St. Louis Blues with six, followed by the Nashville Predators with five. And the most recent trade that, the, that Dubas had with the Blues was... The, Ryan, the big Ryan O'Reilly trade. You know, that's that, that was obviously a huge one at this past year's trade deadline. And when you look at the Blues roster now, I do think they're going to try to set themselves up to get back to the playoffs next season. I don't know if I see a way for Dubas to make it seven with the Blues if you go to their cap friendly. A lot of their top players are signed for next season, whether that's Jordan Cairo, whether that's Robert Thomas, Braden Shen, Pablo Buchnevich has a couple of years left. Brandon Saad has still his three more years left. They obviously just got Kasperi Cabin from the Penguins. The Penguins aren't going to go out and get him. Jacob Rana had a really good renaissance after he came over. He signed for one more season. Sammy Blay is still there. When you look at their forwards, there's really not much there that I think the Penguins could really get from defensively. Colton Pareko is signed for $6.5 million for at least the next five or six seasons. Tory Krug is signed for a while. Justin Falk. You know, Krug is 32. He would... Maybe makes sense on the left side, but he's also, I think, just a power play specialist at this point in his career. You have Marco Scandella, Robert Bortuzzo. Uh, Goaltending-wise, you have Thomas Grice, the free agent, and then Jordan Bennington, who signed for four more years. So I don't really see a way 
Dubis makes it seven unless it's just like a draft kind of trade. And yes, I did include the draft trades in terms of his overall numbers when it comes to just trades as an interim GM and as you know, the, the full-time GM. But the Blues, six. I don't see a way it gets to seven unless there's something I'm missing. The Predators with five, whether it's just swapping picks or swapping players. You look at the National Predators, also a team which is entering, entering a very interesting period. I do think Barry Trotz, he's, he's obviously the new GM there. He's going to want to get this team back to the playoffs next season. But they have a big decision to make when it comes to UC Saros. He signed for two more years at $5 million. He's going to make a lot of money on his next contract. He is a goalie that I would go all out for if I am Kyle Dubas. And, you know, if, if I am him, I, obviously I would at least call Trotz to see what the asking price would be if it's too much, then whatever. But outside of that, with Dubas saying he wants to make a splash at forward, Matt Duchesne makes $8 million for the next three seasons. That's not going to happen. Ryan Johansson makes two seasons. It makes it also makes eight million for the next two seasons. That's not going to happen. Colton Sissons makes two point eight five for the next three. Age twenty nine wouldn't be that bad of a depth option, but I still think you can find better players. You know, Philip Tomasino, Thomas Novak, Michael McCarron, Kiefer Sherwood, Cole Smith. There, you know, there's some okay younger players. I mean, Sherwood's not too too bad. Rasmus Asplund's an RFA. Cody Glass is an RFA. They they, they both are. But they both need new contracts. So just overall looking at these two teams, even if you go defensively, Dante Fabro, I think actually he would be an interesting option on the right side if they do want to move on from Petrie or Jan Ruda. He's still young at 24, good first pass, good defensively. I, I would be pretty interested to see what he could do in Mike Sullivan's system. But outside of him and UC Saros, I'm honestly not really seeing too, too much right now when it comes to trade options on these two teams and, and how that can go forward. That, that That's how I see it. I think a, a, it's going to be a, tr- it's going to be a trade with a team outside those top two, whether it's the Blackhawks who also traded with Kyle Dubas four times, the senators four trades with Kyle Dubas, the blue jackets also had four and the Florida Panthers also had four. And <clears throat> in terms of three penguins, Islanders, Canucks, flames, avalanche and golden Knights all had three. The rest had two, or one. So in terms of those teams that I could see trading with Kyle Dubas now that he's in Pittsburgh, Ottawa, we talked about Alex Dabrinkit. If he wants to make a play for him, that would make sense. Four Panthers, probably not, unless you're just trading draft picks. Columbus Blue Jackets, probably not. Chicago, you know, they don't really have too much there right now that I would be really going after. I think it's more likely they would trade with a team that you know he's dealt with three times throughout his career as general manager, whether that's especially Calgary and Vancouver. I, I keep coming back to those two teams. Calgary has no hand and they have a surplus of left-handed defensemen that I think could make a lot of sense for the Penguins. Noah Hannafin is obviously one of them. He would look great next to Chris Letang. Nikita Zadorov. Yeah, I, I would absolutely love for the Penguins to get their hands on him. They need a top four left-handed shot. They may need other <clears throat> top four right-handed shots because they could potentially move on from Jan Rude and Jeff Petrie. More on that in my second segment. But the Flames could definitely see that because I think they could be looking at some major surgery this offseason. The Canucks, no, I don't think this is going to be for JT Miller or anything like that. But I do think one player who's caught my eye a good bit, and I've talked about it on my show a lot, is Connor Garland 
good winger, can play either side, good shot, good passing ability, good skating ability, can forecheck hard, can win the battles along the boards. I think he would make a lot of sense in regards to adding a an, another piece to the top six, especially if Jason Zucker <clears throat> decides to watch. So, you know, those two teams are definitely keeping an eye out for trades. Islanders, probably not as much because they're in the, they're in the division. Maybe Vegas or Colorado if there's a fit there. Same with Chicago. But in terms of the top two with St. Louis and Nashville, overall, I don't really see it too much unless you're looking at Nashville, maybe Dante Fabro or UC Soros. That, that, that those kind of players, I think. But that is what I really had in terms of Kyle Dubas's trade history and what teams I think he could be looking to go after. Also, I think Arizona could be in there. He did have three trades as well with Arizona. I, I, I somehow forgot to mention, or I, I left that out of my notes. That's my fault. I was probably maybe going a little bit too quick. But Arizona did have three. Could maybe see him looking at that, you know, Corral Vamelka. Nick Schmaltz. I'm going to do a deep dive actually on Nick Schmaltz pretty soon because he has a pretty nice contract, good offensive numbers on a bad team, good defensive impacts. I've been a big fan of his for the last couple of years. I'm going to do a deep dive on him coming up in the next few episodes in the next week, something like that, where I really want to see if how good the fit is here if Arizona wants to move on from him. And I'll also look at Corral Vamilka as well because I do think, you know, looking at with how Gal Dubas has evaluated goaltenders throughout his career, getting someone like him makes a lot of sense in my opinion. So that wraps up this first segment, looking at his trade history. Let me know what you think down in the comments. You can also send me a DM. Do you think there's a way he can trade with St. Louis or Nashville outside of the couple of players I named, or do you think it could be with one of the other teams that I mentioned, whether it's a trade that, you know, a team he's traded with four times or even three times or even just once or twice, let me know down in the comments. Just, you know, honestly, let me know in general. But coming up in the second segment, we're going to look at if Kyle Dubas can be more aggressive than normal this summer based on a section of an article that I read from James Myrtle over the weekend from The Athletics. So that's coming up right after this commercial. But before we get to that, for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, you can head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit, or you'll get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. That's right, eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, we're back here in this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I am your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter, at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter, at Elmerster Penguins. And of course, thank you all so much for making this your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. So getting to our second topic to discuss, Kyle Dubas maybe being a bit more aggressive since he has total control of the Penguins hockey ops. And this comes courtesy of an article from James Myrtle over the weekend. And I'll obviously have my ideas for this. And he discusses in the article how Colorado Avalanche were really looking to hire Kyle Dubas in the spring of 2016 for a big front office role. He says Joe Sackick wanted Dubas to come in and then also expand the analytics department 
and he wanted permission to talk to him, but the Leafs declined permission. And that's when apparently Shanahan promised Dubas that he was going to take over for Lou Lamorello, you know, once he left. And as Myrtle writes here, he goes, one thing I recall being very interested in reporting out of that story was how people close to Dubas believed he would be happy to go to a place like Colorado where he could do more of the weird things he wanted with a roster in front office than it felt would be possible in Toronto. I think the same thing applies to Pittsburgh here. He goes on to say that sort of ability to exact change without the heavy scrutiny in a large market and a somewhat overbearing ownership situation always appealed to Dubas even six years ago. I think you might be seeing the same thing here. Ownership here with the Fenway Sports Group, they are not super overbearing. In a way, I kind of compare it to the Rooney family with the Steelers where they let Omar Khan make the moves, they let Mike Tomlin coach the team, and they let the players play. And I think that's what you're seeing here with the Fenway Sports Group ownership. They hire Kyle Dubas. They're going to let him make the moves as he sees fit. They're going to let Mike Sullivan coach that team, and they're going to let the players play, and they're going to kind of stay out of out of all their way. And, you know, that, that sentence where he says the ability to exact change without the heavy scrutiny in a large market, you know, Pittsburgh is, is a decently big market. It's still not as big as Toronto, though. I mean, I don't think that's a debate at all. But still, he'll be able to do what he sees fit as the president of hockey operations. After all, he got promoted. And honestly, I'm fine with that. I I do think, or I subscribe to the the thinking, that there needs to be a lot of big changes made to this team this summer. I'm not just saying, you know, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Crystal Tang, Jake Gensel, they're going to stay. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I think Ricard Raquel is safe. Marcus Pedersen is safe. But outside of that, there's really not a lot of players where I can confidently say, oh, they're definitely going to be on this team next season. Mikhail Granlin, we all know. Everyone, I think, wants him off the team. Jeff Carter, everyone will want him off the team, but I don't see a way that he does that unless he just somehow approaches him to say, you can either sit in the press box every night or we can find a way to have you wave your new move clause. I don't think it. Any of those options are feasible, at least in my opinion. So you're stuck with them. But in terms of forward depth, he's going to want to go out, I think, again, another top six wing. He touched on that a lot during his press conference, whether that's via free agency with Tyler Bertuzzi, a couple other options, whether that's via trade, Alex DeBrincat, bring in anyone you know, to really fit that role. Connor Garland, as I've discussed, Nick, Nick Schmaltz, too. Either way, I think you're going to see him make a splash in that department, and, and you're going to see him really fill out the forward depth. You know, I've discussed this on my show a lot. That was his bread and butter in Toronto. You know, he signs a Michael Bunting. He signs an Ilya Mikheyev. Signs a David Camp. Trade for Sam Lafferty, who is – I'm not a big fan of him, but he's still probably a bit better than some of the options the Penguins had this past season. He knows how to fill out cheap quality depth, and I do think you're going to see him continue that go, You know, going into free agency, what we're June 6th right now. Right, almost four and a half weeks away. Well, I think I'm about about that. Actually, I was just say a little less than four and a half weeks away from free agency. And then you go to the back end, right? He did say he wanted to make changes to it during his press conference. To me, I think he's going to be super aggressive with that and try to move both Jan Ruda and Jeff Petrie. He didn't acquire both of those players. Ruda is just a more expensive Chad Riedel, I think, at this point in his career. Jeff Petrie is 
a little bit overpaid for his role. He's in his early 30s, makes $6.25 million for the next two seasons. If you can get a taker for him, great. I do think it's also going to be a bit difficult to find one because of that cap hit, $6.25 million. You may have to attach a sweetener, but I do think Kyle's going to try. I think he's going to want to make the, the back end a bit younger, a bit faster, a bit more mobile. I don't think he's going to really be afraid to do anything outside of obviously not moving the core pieces. I think you could also see him approach Brian Russ about a trade. And that one, I discussed it a little bit on my Monday episode. It is a bit tricky because when you look under the surface, I said this during my season review of Russ, I think he could be in line for a bounce back next season because some of his numbers this year were a bit down, especially his shooting percentage. If that regresses back to the mean, I think he could you know, score a bit more next season. But if he has another season like this, as he continues to get older, that contract I think might only look worse and worse down the road because I thought at the time, okay, you can get two at least two good years out of Rust. I don't even, you didn't even get the first one. What's to say you're going to get the first one this upcoming season? So that's the thing that really, it, it, it's tricky because again, Rust has a new move clause. That was, that was a contract signed by Ron Hextall. Could Kyle go to him and say, hey, what do you think about waving to this team? We want to make some changes. It's no slight to you. I just feel like the team needs a jolt, a breath of fresh air, something like that. I really don't think he's going to be afraid to do anything. That's that's how I see it. And you know, and with that Myrtle statement, how you know he can go to Pittsburgh, do maybe some of the weird things he wanted with this roster. Again, I don't think much of anything is off the table. And I do, and I do think you're going to see quite a bit of roster movement. You're going to see multiple trades. I think you're going to see multiple signings. They have 20 million in salary cap space that can go up to 24 million if they buy out Mikhail Greenland. Even though this team is in a bit of a perilous spot, he can still turn them around decently quickly in, to the point where they can for sure be a playoff team next season. I firmly believe that. But if you're asking me who is safe going into next season, even though he's, I, I think he's going to be aggressive, I would say it's the big three. I would say it's Marcus Pedersen, Ricard Raquel, and Jake Gensel. Everyone else, I feel like could be up for grabs either at a higher rate or a little bit of a lower probability rate. But I think those players that I mentioned are the only ones who I truly feel are safe going into next season. And for stuff that Dubis may want to do, again, he won't have to get blocked by ownership. The Maple Leafs are owned by a bunch of different corporations, MLSC, and just like the board and all this stuff. It's it, it's super weird. It's it's very complex. I could probably spend an hour talking about it, but I just know they're they're owned by just a bunch of you know corporate people and he has to go through like multiple people to even make to even make a move for that team. You know, I had to go through Shanahan, the board, the ownership group. Here, he'll just do what he wants, unless he just somehow wants to trade a core player. But you know, he's already committed to them during his opening press conference in in Pittsburgh last week. But you know, I I really do think you're going to see him change up the back end. The forward group is going to look different, and goaltending. We can end here with this. If you look at Kyle Dubas's history in Toronto, he's never been super. I guess aggressive when it comes to getting a goalie. 
He's always just gone for the options where it's like, okay, I don't really want to pay too much money, too much term. For example, this season, got Ilya Samsonov and Matt Murray. Samsonov worked out a little bit. Actually had a, a decent season, but got banged up at a bad time in the playoffs. Matt Murray did not because he was banged up all year. You know, Joseph Wall did all he could in the playoffs. Before this, you know, had Peter Morozik for a little bit, had Jack Campbell, had Freddie Anderson for a time. So it, he goes for these cheaper options who he feels like can give a contending team average goaltending. So some have worked, some have, have not, some have not, excuse me. And that just begs the question now, will he commit to paying Tristan Jari, even though it could be a short-term deal? This is something he really hasn't done that much throughout his tenure as a general manager, right? Will he commit to a little bit of term and a little bit of money to signing Jari if he feels like he is you know, better than some of the options currently out there on the free agent market and on the trade market, you know, because again, Karel Vimelka, he makes a lot of sense. Someone who could come in here, give them at least average goaltending. He's on a decent contract. Not, I think, one of the five to seven or eight best goaltenders in the game, but someone who can definitely get the job done. What do you commit to Aiden Hill, who I think is probably pricing himself out of range right now, but still the Penguins will have the cap space to do it. But would he also turn into a pumpkin? You have to weigh that. Will he give up uh, the Winnipeg Jets a call by Connor Hellebuck? You know, it, he just, he strikes me as someone who, you know, obviously he has to get this right, but I don't think he's going to go out here and, and just commit a lot of money in turn to a goalie if he doesn't have to. So that's my thoughts on that. And just overall about how he could be more aggressive. But overall, my friends, this team is going to look a lot different next season. And I do think you're going to see them be a bit more younger, a bit more faster. You're not going to see a team, you know, full of 35 plus old players. Now, obviously the big three, that's fine. But I think Hexall just did not do a good job surrounding them with adequate depth and not enough of youth and speed in the lineup. And I think Kyle's going to make that a big priority this offseason. But that wraps up the second segment. Coming up to end the show, we're going to get into the Stanley Cup final and why the Vegas Golden Knights just seem to be a bit too much for the Florida Panthers right now. That's coming up right after this. All right, I'm back in this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I am your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at Larsa Penguins. And of course, thank you all so much for making this your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. So game two, the Stanley Cup final ended on Monday night. The Vegas Golden Knights have taken a two nothing series lead over the four Panthers. And you know, the Panthers are just being taken to the woodshed right now. They can't do much of anything at either end of the ice. The Golden Knights have done a tremendous job shutting down their four check, especially shutting down Matthew Kachuk. I'll get to him in just a second, but they can't do anything on the offensive zone. The Panthers that is, they also have not been able to defend the Golden Knights attack. Bruce Cassidy has shown how much of a brilliant tactician he is, not just in the series, but in this playoff run as a whole. He is one of the best head coaches in the game. And you are seeing that right now. Vegas, I think they're just they're a bit deeper. They're faster. They defend a bit better. They've getting they've gotten better goaltending. That's I, I think where this series has been really won is in the is between the pipes. Aiden Hill is on his way to probably getting quite a payday from from one NHL team 
this offseason unless it's the, the Golden Knights. While Sergei Bobrovsky has kind of turned back into a pumpkin these past couple of games, has was pulled in game two, was not good in game one. This is not the level we saw in the first three rounds from the Panthers starting netminder. He needs to wake up in a big way as the series shifts, shifts back to sunrise on Thursday. And I'll also say the same about Matthew Kachuk. I am sick and tired of him with these game misconducts. You can complain all you want about the officiating, how they've maybe been a bit soft, but three game misconducts in two games is not how you're going to win a Stanley Cup final. I'm sorry. Like I know it's obvious low-hanging fruit. He's got to stop with these stupid plays. I know it's part of his game. I love watching him play. He's one of the best players we have in this sport, but he's got to stop taking himself off the, off the ice and being stupid. He needs to assert himself in this series. He has been tremendous throughout these playoffs for the Panthers, but got to stop taking himself off the ice. He was off the ice last night for over 20 minutes. I'm sorry. Can't keep playing like that. If the Panthers are to get back in this series, it's going to be because of Matthew Kachuk and Sergei Borowski finding their games. If they don't, they are cooked. You know, they already face an uphill battle because they have to beat the Knights four out of five times to win the final. But I know they obviously came back from the 3-1 down to beat the Bruins, so anything is possible with this team. But right now, I'm just not seeing enough from the Panthers. And it's time for both Kachuk and Bobrovsky to find their games. In terms of Vegas, Chandler Stevenson's been awesome. Brett Howden has really found his game ever since coming over from the Rangers. Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith have been great. Dale Talon is the gift that keeps on giving because obviously he gave them to the Knights for free to protect Alex Petrovich in the expansion draft, which I cannot believe I'm still saying. I, I just I can't believe that's still real because Dale Talon, just a total <laughs> buffoon for that. Honestly, a lot of the general managers were total buffoons for how they handled the expansion draft. Alicia Rutherford was not in terms of that one, because they had already agreed that Flurry was going to be going over to Vegas, you know, months prior to that expansion draft. But, you know, Mark Stone, he's a psychopath. You know, Shea Theodore has been good. Alex Petrangelo. I'm really liking how the Knights are playing right now. There's just, you know, again, there's not really much space in the offensive zone for the Panthers. Aiden Hill has been tremendous. Defensively, the Knights are picking them apart. You know, when they're rushing up the ice, and I'll be curious to see if Paul Maurice makes any roster decisions, roster lineup decisions, excuse me, for this game. He's going to go back to Bobrovsky. He can say all he wants about how he's thinking about it. He's going to go back to Bobrovsky, people. I mean, you don't just bench him after one really bad game. Game one was bad, but game two was really, and I mean really bad. I don't think he's going to um, <clears throat> bench him after, even after those past couple of games, and especially after how he's played in the first three rounds. Game three is set for Thursday night in Sunrise. Really excited for it. We'll see if the Knights can go up three games to zero or, <clears throat> excuse me, if the Panthers can really get back into this series because I don't really want to see a short Stanley Cup final. I, I just don't. I, I, I picked the Knights in seven. I kind of did it jokingly because I thought the Panthers would actually win it, but right now that's looking less and less likely and the magic beans might be wearing off. I also want to see more from Sasha Barkov when it comes to the Panthers. I don't think he's been good enough in these two games. I don't think he's been good enough a lot of times during these playoffs. And I kind of think they've won in spite of Barkov at times, which is weird to say, but I think he's been banged up a little bit. I want to see him play a bit better here through the rest of the series, but that'll do it for this episode of the Locked on Penguins podcast. Thank you all so much for listening slash watching. 
I very much appreciate it. I'll be back with another episode for you all on Wednesday. We'll continue our off-season content, maybe do some silly season stuff. We'll get draft prep later on for this month. A lot of things to look forward to when it comes to this team. I'm really excited to see what Dubas and Sullivan do to this roster, especially Dubas because he's the president of hockey operations. And then obviously we'll hire general manager in July or August. Really excited to see everything that happens. Just keep it right here on Locked on Penguins for all news regarding the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'll talk to you all on Wednesday. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.